fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. Welcome into the program. What's up? Happy post-Monday celebration, the squishy Republicans. I love that intro because it really sets the tone for those that are like, I like the middle of the road. I question you on what that middle of the road actually is. I am. I like the middle of the road as well. I like common sense and liberty and limited government. But today, that's not middle of the road, man. That's like wicked, wild, radical, free thinking called a Republican conservative or something. Welcome into the show. What's happening? Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations all over the place, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. We love you to death. Appreciate you very much. Your millennial general reporting for duty again, like we do every single day. Let's carpe diem all over this place. What do you say today? Uh, <laughs> I know that they say, here, show of hands, how many people trust the federal government and what they tell you? Show of hands. Can I see them? Anybody? Anybody at all? No? When they tell you something, do you actually believe it? Because they lied to us again. As they say, the financial institutions are stable. Don't worry about more of these banks failing. There's nothing to see here. Those aren't the droids you're looking for. When they try to tell us this, then our radar should be going up. Our red flags should be popping up in our minds on how that's not the case in any way, shape, or form. As we now have another bank, First Republic Bank, the fourth largest bank in the country that's failing miserably now as they've lost nearly $230 billion in assets over the last month, eclipsing the Silicon Valley Bank Collapse. Three of the four largest bank failures in the U.S. history have taken place over the last two months, according to TheHill.com, as the banking institutions continue to struggle under the Biden administration. Now, they can say, Andy, it has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, I mean, there is there's some validity to the fact that it's tied to the Biden, or I'm sorry, Democrat policies in the Biden administration with them wanting to expand government, raise interest rates, completely just destroy a lot of the investments. You got to remember, these banks are investing in things in the government like treasury bonds that have no value anymore because they're crashing with the massive inflation hikes that we're seeing right now, the interest rates that we're raising to battle the inflation. And then because interest rates are high, people aren't taking out mortgages, they're not taking out credit cards. They're not taking out auto loans. They're not refinancing their mortgages nearly as much as what they were. Last number I saw was about 7% down in the last month alone from February to March or March to April. I can't remember, but it doesn't really matter. Because of that, these banks are struggling. The last actually I saw was near 200 banks that were on the cusp, the precipice of falling. And if that's the case, man... What the heck's going to happen to this entire banking system? So uh, while they're all invested in these quote-unquote long-term treasury bonds and the treasury bonds don't have a whole lot of value to them, First Republic is the fate when the bank revealed its loss of $100 billion in deposits after SVB's collapse that led to the panic among wealthy clients because this bank especially as well, the vast majority of their clients were individuals that had money well over that $250,000 FDIC insurance policy, meaning if you have $250,000 in the bank and the bank closes, you're insured by the federal government to compensate for at least two, uh, up to $250,000. 
most people there had more money than that $250,000. And when the concern happened, everybody started to pulling their money out of the bank. And you can see how well it's working out. So the panic created by the mainstream media while trying to not create fear and paranoia in the system because they don't want the system to look bad under the Biden administration is failing with them reporting it, people getting scared and pulling their money out, causing the financial collapse of certain banks while... All of them as well being invested in long-term treasury bonds with the Treasury Department, who's taking those quote-unquote extraordinary measures, according to Janet Yellen, to make sure to pay off the debt with the upcoming debt ceiling that could be coming relatively soon. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have the Biden administration saying that they're open and willing to having a conversation about the debt ceiling just weeks before they close. Who called that one? Who, anybody, anybody, show of hands, did we call that on this program? That the Biden administration will put the blinders on and ignore the debt ceiling debate until the very last minute. And now, just like the playbook calls for the Democrat playbook, is wait till the last minute. Now, it is we have to raise the debt ceiling without any spending cuts. And even though we're over 120% of the GDP uh, in government spending and government debt right now, raise it nonchalantly, no issue. And Republicans, if you try to cut any spending, then you are the most horrible human beings on the face of the earth and people will die in the streets. And that is how we start the program today. Welcome into it. Gene Clancy coming on the program. He's with Americans for Prosperity, a senior fellow at the Americans for Prosperity. He's also part of the Paragon Health Institute. We'll talk about the Biden budget coming up, uh, his proposal for it, and the modernizing of the Medicare system nationwide. What does Biden have in store for Medicare as we continue to push this global government-run health care system that's a complete disaster And you can see how well that's working out under the Obamacare system we have right now. So we'll talk about that and more coming up at the bottom of the hour. This ties into this topic with the debt ceiling to a degree, but this one blows my mind, man. This is our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today. And I had to find a couple different sources here because I could not believe my eyes when I actually saw it. I didn't believe it, and I thought it was a joke or some type of Babylon Bee or some type of spoof satire bit. But oh no, it's real. It happened, it took effect yesterday, and there's nothing we can do about it now. What do I mean? I want to start off with the analogy first for a second to just set up the stage for you here, shall we? Remember at school, and I don't know if you remember when you had the conversations where uh, we have obviously the A students, the really ones that are smart, either work really hard at it or it just comes naturally to them. You have the A students, the B students. And then the ones that struggle a little bit, the C's and D's and sometimes the F's. I don't think it's hard to get an F. Like if, if you have to really work at it to get an F just by not showing up and not doing anything. But I guess some people do. But remember the conversation you had in class when you were in grade school. And the teacher made a comment of, or maybe you had the conversation of, if someone has A's or B's and someone else has D's or C's, that we should average it out as a class average to do like a C plus or a B minus. Remember those conversations? And it really started maybe in government or debate class. We are like, oh, that's a great idea. It just balances out. Everybody's fair. Everybody's equal. The redistribution of your grades based on how much effort you put into it doesn't matter any longer. You could bust your hump every night studying, memorizing, preparing for the test. You get an A. Someone that shows up and just gets a D and doesn't care about it now equals out and they get to pass because they equal out the average among the class. Remember those conversations? And how most individuals, most commonsensical individuals are like, yeah, that's kind of a bunch of crap. I put a lot of work to get that A. 
or that B plus. I busted my you-know-what to get that grade because I want to succeed. If they don't put in that effort, then that's on them. Or if they need to be taught a different way because they're just not clicking with the issue, that's another story. But let's find a way for them to teach or to learn on an individual basis as opposed to the one-size-fits-all educational system we have thanks to our school boards and public education system nationwide. I want to relay that down to an issue today. There is a new housing policy. Not sure if you're aware or if you've seen the news here. And again, this did not make the national news until it took effect yesterday. So it's already in effect. And now 27 states have state treasurers and other top finance officials challenging this on new housing policy in the nation, as they call it, unconscionable policy. Here's what the plan is. If you have not heard this new this new plan or agenda the Biden administration has. If you have a house and if you have high credit score, if you have a high credit score because, you know, you pay your bills on time, you've played the game for a long time, and we'll get into how credit scores are actually made in a minute and how stupid this system is, but nonetheless, you have a high credit score in the seven, eight, uh, 700s, high 600s, whatever. I think mine's like 700 right on the dot. Not bad, but not the best. Seven, 750, whatever. If you have a high credit score, under this new housing policy from the Biden administration, you will now be paying more on your closing fees and more on your monthly mortgage to subsidize those who have lower credit scores and are higher risk borrowers to be able to purchase a home. Oh, yeah. No, this is not a joke. And this is already in effect. This is already here. It's not theoretical. It's not let's debate it. No, no, no. It's here and it's already being challenged in court. We're not talking about people with higher incomes. We're talking people that have higher credit scores, that have a mortgage, will now have an additional fee on top of their regular mortgage to fund and subsidize mortgage loans of higher risk borrowers. Here's what the plan is, according to Fox Business. Biden's plan was outlined just a few weeks ago by the Federal Housing Agency and is set to take effect yesterday, Monday, May 1st. The plan is aiming at helping lower-income borrowers afford their monthly mortgage payments. It would do so by forcing people with good credit scores to pay more each month for their mortgages, along with extra payments that would be credited to the loans of the higher-risk borrowers. The controversial policy has been attacked by both Republicans and Democrats, according to Fox Business, including President Obama's former federal housing administrator. Uh, on Monday, the financial officers from 27 states weighed in and said it was clear that the policy was a mistake even before it took effect. Quote, it's already clear this new policy would be a disaster. It amounts to the middle-class tax hike that would unfairly cost American families millions upon millions of dollars. Here's where this is crazy. And most people know this. This is really a uh, explanation for the other side of the aisle that doesn't quite get this, that lives in their parents' basements and who hates the financial system because of evil capitalists and whatnot. So how do you get a higher credit score? That's the first question. How do you get a higher? You get a higher credit score by playing the game. That's really, if you listen to Dave Ramsey, that's why he says credit's stupid. You don't have to do it. You can use cash for everything that you need by saving money up, which is the more responsibly financially way to do things. But in a real world, it's very difficult to do that. So how do you get a higher credit score? You have different 
lines of credit. You have a mortgage, you have a car payment, you have a credit. Well, those are like loans. And you have the revolving credit, like a line of credit on your house or a credit card that can be rechargeable and you use it over and over and over again. And you make the payments. And the more you have of it and the lesser ratio of you use, the lesser ratio of that debt that you use on it and how frequently you use it, then your credit goes up meaning you have to pay a heck of a lot of interest, you have to pay on a lot of different debts in order for the system to be like, you're a good citizen, and pats you on the head and gives you a high number. That doesn't mean you have a lot of money. It means you know how to play the game and you've paid a lot of money into that system in order for you to look good on that credit score. But they don't care if you have a lot of money or not. This is like if you make over $400,000, if you make over a million dollars. No, no, it's not that. It's if you have a high credit score and a mortgage, you're now going to pay a higher fee on your mortgage to subsidize people that do not have good credit scores, people that maybe have defaulted on debts, people that are not financially in tune to do things responsibly, people that waste money or cap out their credit cards or default on a lot of debts. They still now apparently need to qualify for a mortgage, which would be a high-risk individual because banks would not want to loan on a mortgage to an individual that cannot pay their debts, that cannot pay their mortgage, that cannot pay any type of debt because they've defaulted on them. No, no, now they're going to qualify because you, after doing the good citizen, paying thousands and tens of thousands of dollars into the credit system by working on your credit, by doing things the proper way and building from scratch and building up from nothing, getting that A in school, you are now going to pay into a pot that's going to subsidize higher risk individuals to get a mortgage. Dude, seriously? Seriously, that's where we're at today, right? Socialism is here. The redistribution of wealth is here. And they're doing it not based on your income, but how well you've played the system. Congrats. Now help this guy out behind you. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour. So we have now the official redistribution of wealth at a level that you don't even have to be wealthy. You just have to have a high credit score, meaning you're semi-responsible with your debts. You're on time with your payments. You work hard to make sure your payments are done on time and in the right amount, and you do it with different types, and you play the system nicely to where you work your credit score up. And now, like, cool, you're responsible, so now this isn't even like you're rich and you can afford it. This is you've done well playing the game. Now you have to do it for somebody else because they haven't been responsible with their credits and with their finances. Now, uh, for those that are like, well, less fortunate individuals, they don't have the opportunity. First, I call shenanigans on that one because... Anybody can get a credit card nowadays. They had the boost lined up to where you could sign up for a credit card when you get to college. You don't have to have a credit score, and they can give you a $300 one. If you've messed up your credit really, really bad, you can get the ones with like a, a, a limit of like $300 or $500 to start building that credit again. Working on credit is not a hard issue. Getting some type of line of credit is like one of the easiest things in this nation. So the ones that, that say there's there's less fortunate ones out there, Sure, there may be some challenges, but it comes down to the responsibility of how you actually work your credit, and a lot of people can't, and I'm not judging them in any way, shape, or form. That's okay. That comes down to the reiteration that we have on the show all the time 
of taking financial literacy classes. Why is it not mandated in every public school, every private school, every charter school, every homeschool curriculum across the nation that before you graduate high school and even in college, you, it's mandatory for you to take financial literacy classes? I God, I wish I took them when I was younger. I wish I took because I would not be in the situation I am today with my fifty thousand plus dollars of student loans after going to university for two years that I didn't get anything out of except finding out where I was going to go. So I guess in the all it's it's the life experience to figure out who you are, Andy. And I guess there's a benefit to that, but it cost me sixty thousand dollars to figure that out that I'm still paying on. So I guess there's a benefit. You got to look on the bright side of things all over the place. But I would have done things a heck of a lot different if I would have taken those because I didn't. I was one of the young, dumb college kids that assumed I go to college, I take out the student loans, and obviously I'm going to be able to be able to pay it back. Everybody lives this way. Everybody just pays it back easily. It's not that big of a deal. Come to find out, oh, the contraire. We're in a system to where they didn't tell us that, in which case credit isn't the smartest thing sometimes. Building credit can be good, but it can also be bad, and you have to do it responsibly. It kind of ties into the whole, let's take, for example, the reparation argument in California, paying black individuals $5 million in the state of Cal- in the city of San Francisco alone. It's going to cost them like $6 billion or whatever ridiculous amount that it's going to be because of, well, I don't know why, because California wasn't a slave state, so they weren't slaves in California, so I don't know what the reparations are for exactly, uh, but they're talking about the reparations of paying individuals uh, $6 million apiece, wiping out all of their debts, and selling them homes for a dollar apiece. Now, you can do all of that, which is going to bankrupt San Francisco, that's going to bankrupt California, that's already bankrupt, which means at the end of the day, you and I eventually will subsidize that on a federal level. But beyond all of that, what is that going to do to the individuals? Let's look at someone that is struggling that's been in a lower-to-middle-income family their entire life, that all of a sudden gets a $6 million drop into their bank account. Anybody. I'm not talking about race or demographic or anyone. Just a general individual. If I had a $6 million plop in my bank account tonight, would I be financially responsible enough to use that wisely, or would it be gone in a few years? Remember Aaron Brockovich? After the whole movie about her exploiting and, and, and exposing that uh, company that was dumping the toxins into the water? She was a multimillionaire. She's broke! Because no one taught her how to use that money. NFL stars, they get these million-dollar contracts. At the end, when they're retired and they have concussions, you know, and they can't walk and they don't know what their name is half the time, they're broke. And they have to be taken care of. Because we don't teach them how to use it responsibly. You need to teach them the responsibility. And just giving someone a home and subsidizing it based on someone who's not wealthy but has done well with their finances smartly, how does that benefit them when they don't know how to use it wisely this makes zero sense good golly this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier when reason meets radio this is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. Welcome back into it. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time. Just carpe dianism all over the place. <laughs> Welcome into the show. Uh, the insanity out of Washington, D.C. continues, obviously. This new housing policy. I've never seen anything like this before. 
27 states, the state treasurers, along with financial officials, quote-unquote, are uh, challenging this one. But the fact that we didn't know about it until it took effect just today, just voila, here it is. And uh, that's, oh, thank you, Ad on Interweb in Fox News. Um, it's wild to think that this is where we're at now. You don't even have to have a lot of money. You just have to have a high credit score because you played the game well and you've been consistent on your bills. Now let's throw some money into a pot for the quote-unquote high-risk borrowers trying to get a home because we have to increase the home buyers. What this really comes down to is, unfortunately, my generation, the millennials, who are so delayed in purchasing their own home and going off on their own because of the debts that we have, and they say the student loan stuff, and because we're not responsible with our uh, money, and because we like to go on trips and do extravagant things and not actually save up for anything. So it's our damn fault being uh, financially irresponsible, but because of that, the new generation's not buying homes, so therefore they're like, you know what? You may be a high-risk, low-income borrower, but we're still just going to allow you to buy a home. We'll just subsidize it with people with high credit scores by paying an extra fee on their monthly mortgage, because that makes all the sense in the entire world. Oh, we live in a maddening world right now, isn't it? We're all going to die because of you! (laughs) Let's get into what's trending today. What do you say? What's trending today? Let's shift gears a little bit as we talk about the Biden budget and things going on in Washington, D.C. And I absolutely love this organization. We have them on frequently to talk about issues going on all around the country. My great friend uh, at the statewide level here in Kansas, where our flagship radio is, is uh, a wonderful friend. And I love talking to different groups and chapters of them all over Americans for Prosperity. With our next guest, he's a senior policy fellow at Americans for Prosperity, also at the Paragon Health Institute public advisor as well. Excited to have on here Mr. Dean Clancy. Dean, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, thanks. Good. I am excited to have you on the program, and I appreciate you jumping on here. Uh, let's. Uh, we're shifting gears a little bit from, I don't know if you've heard that new policy about the, the housing policy now. High credit scorers that have a mortgage now get to pay an additional fee to fund and subsidize low-income and high-risk borrowers to purchase homes because that's apparently going to solve the housing issue in the nation. Yeah, that that's great. I, I'm not a housing policy expert, but I think I've seen this movie before. It was called <laughs> the, the Big Short, you know. Uh, we lived through it in 2008 where we tried to give everybody a free house, basically, yeah. and uh, bad things happened. Yeah, that's going to work out swell. So we, we've already seen the end of this movie. We can stop popping the popcorn on that one. Uh, let's shift gears to right. where your focus is on the health care issues right now. And before we get into the actual Medicare issues, just health care overall. Since the taking over of Obamacare, the consuming of a sixth of the U.S. economy at the federal level with Obamacare, uh, now we see deductibles that are double and triple. We see premiums that are double and triple. We see less stuff actually being covered through our insurance plans. Uh, how are people faring with this? Because as far as I'm aware, one of the biggest debts that people do default on is their medical debt still, isn't it? Yes, that's absolutely right. Healthcare costs are a real pain point for most Americans, and Washington is not doing anything to make it better. And In fact, as you suggested they have been making it worse over the past couple of decades. And so now it is uh, more expensive and it's harder to find a doctor that's in your insurance plan's uh, network. It's part of what is, in effect, a creeping government takeover of health care, but it's not making health care better uh, for people. At Americans for Prosperity, we do a lot of polling. We, we've asked people, what are your top three issues? Right now they say it's inflation, uh, jobs, 
and the cost of health care. And 40% of people say health care costs are a crisis. And I think they're right about that. And so uh, what we need, of course, is reforms that increase competition and give patients more choice and control. Uh, we should fund patients, not insurance companies. And, you know, sensible reforms. And uh, at AFP, we call that a personal option approach to health care rather than you know, a government takeover or so-called Medicare for all. Unfortunately, as the 2024 election campaign cycle starts in earnest, President Biden is out there proposing uh, big increases in health care spending and taxes to pay for it, and also significant cuts to the Medicare program, while paradoxically accusing his opponents of wanting to do exactly the same thing, take away your Medicare, take away your health care. So it's situation normal. Uh, healthcare politics is in a bad way, but we're hopeful uh, that uh, the American people can can weigh in uh, in this election and uh, get some good policy reforms. That would be really nice. I would love to see that. Are we still battling? I know here in Kansas we haven't done it yet, thankfully, but on the same note with Medicaid expansion at the statewide levels that's being funded supposedly 90% of the way with the expansion through the federal government, is that still a topical issue for many states? And how is that program faring out with the funding of that from federal subsidies? Yes, the so-called Medicaid expansion, that was a part of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And basically what the Fed said was, hey, states, um, you have to uh, cover everybody up to a certain level. And what that did was expand Medicaid from kind of a safety net for very low income uh, people, truly vulnerable people, into a program that's now covering a lot of able-bodied working age adults who frankly don't need the help. They have access to health care at work or they can go to the uh, online uh, health insurance marketplaces to purchase a plan. And so it's, it's, it's waste. But because the Fed's uh, the Supreme Court said, no, no, you can't make the states do it. And so it became voluntary for states. But the feds are offering 90 cents on the dollar for the states. So basically, states only have to pay for 10% of this additional cost. 41 states now have, excuse me, 40 states have, have gone for the deal. Uh, 10 states have not. And at AFP, we have argued all along that this is a, a bad policy. Instead of expanding Medicaid, we should make health insurance more affordable for everybody. Yeah. And um, I fear that eventually uh, most of, of, the, of the holdout states will, you know, they'll end up with a governor and a legislature that succumb to the temptation to take the free uh, money. But it, it can't last forever because it's truly unaffordable. And um, we're heading into a recession and fiscal challenges. And cutting back on the Medicaid expansion, I think, is is going to be on the table in Washington. It's going to have to be at some point. Let's bring it down to the local levels across the nation right now. We have a lot of doctors, offices, and family physicians that aren't accepting Medicare or Medicaid, either one of them because of the fact of the reimbursements for what they're charging for certain things, and they're not getting it. And the few that are is bombarding the system with the amount of individuals, and it's kind of a run-of-the-mill factory. Just put them on the assembly line, pop them a pill, and send them on their way instead of doing real medicine. This has not helped the quality of our healthcare system at all on either of those fronts, has it? No, you're absolutely right. Um, Medicaid is notorious for very low quality health care for doctors refusing 
to see Medicaid patients. There's even studies that have been done that suggest that for certain uh, complex conditions like cancer and heart disease, you're better off being uninsured than being on Medicaid. Uh, the reason is Medicaid only pays about 25% of what a private commercial health insurance p- plan would pay for the same item or service. So, of course, a lot of doctors simply can't afford to take uh, many Medicaid patients because it doesn't cover their cost. Medicare is similar, but it pays about twice what Medicaid does. Uh, Medicare, of course, is for seniors and the disabled, but that's still only half of what private competitive health insurers would pay for the same item or service. And so even there, you have about uh, 30% of doctors refusing to take new Medicare patients. That leads to access and quality issues for them. It's just a terrible way uh, to run uh, health programs. And we think the solution is to give people more choices, to allow more competition. Wherever there's competition, prices go down, quality goes up. Yep. And we think that these are safety net programs. People deserve that. Yeah, what a concept. We're talking with Dean Clancy, a senior policy fellow at Americans for Prosperity, which you can find online at americansforprosperity.org. Also partnered with the Paragon Health Institute as a public advisor as well. Let's uh, The Trump administration, when he was talking about it, and unfortunately we didn't get to repeal Obamacare as much as we would have liked to under his administration, but that was the one point that he had made. He said, let's allow them to cross state lines, insurance companies, to be able to uh, go across state lines, compete with each other in the markets, because like usual in a private sector, when you have more competition, quality goes up, uh, the price of the care actually goes down, and then you actually have options for individuals just that alone, as you've mentioned that a couple of times now, would that be the the savior in this issue? I mean, obviously, we have some other issues with that. Would that be actually one of the biggest things that we could do to solve this problem just right now? Well, having more competition between insurance companies is vital. Um, states regulate insurance, so the across-state lines thing has to be done state by state. You know, Kansas, for example, could say, you know what, we'll recognize uh, insurance policies, uh, will let them be sold here, uh, regardless of where they are issued. So, um, states should do that. Uh, meanwhile, there are other options. Um, for example, allow people to buy short-term health insurance plans, which can be significantly less expensive, like 50 to 80% less expensive than a conventional health insurance plan. Why? Because they are exempt from all these federal mandates. And so they Basically, you can tailor the coverage to your needs. What do they say? The yeah. Liberty Mutual pay for only what you need. That's what we need I in like that. insurance markets. I like that. Dean, hold that, hold that thought. we got to take a hard break here, but I want to continue that conversation when we come back in a second on some of these other options because it seems like there's options out there. We just have to do a little digging to find it and fight back against this absurd, this ridiculous system. Lots more coming up. Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes here of the show flies right on by, man. We could do four hours of this program every day, but we only have one. 
trying to cram it all into one hour of awesomeness. That's what we do here on the show. Welcome back into it. Right now, we're hanging out with Dean Clancy. He is the Senior Policy Fellow at Americans for Prosperity. I love this organization. These guys rock it. Americansforprosperity.org. Check out the website and check out the chapter in your state, in your area. Help out. Let people know. Again, I say there's so many different political issues, debates, obviously social issues and philosophical issues and whatever else, but we don't have the opportunity to debate them unless we're in a good financial state. And right now, <laughs> we ain't in a good financial state. So we need to figure out how to get that back on track. And right now, Dean, we're talking with uh, regarding the health issues and the expansion of Medicare, the expansion of Medicaid, these government programs consuming this healthcare industry, bankrupting the nation, lowering the quality of our healthcare in our nation, and destroying the private sector. Uh, one of the options as we look at alternatives, and, and Dean, as we kind of wrap up in the last few minutes, we were talking about some alternatives to this. Uh, I know one of the issues, and actually they started here in Wichita with some of the first ones, is the direct primary care providers. And you pay the membership to the family physician. You get to see them an X amount of times a month. You get calls. You get discounts on the prescription. And you don't even need insurance because of how ridiculous that system is. Do you think that that's a future or at least a portion of the future of healthcare as we try to overcorrect this issue with what's going on right now? Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned direct primary care because there is a revolution going on quietly around the country. Uh, people are, in effect, quiet quitting from health insurance. Not completely. Uh, direct primary care is not a substitute for a health insurance policy, but it's a great supplement. And it can uh, you don't need as much insurance because basically, as you said, you're you're just doing a monthly subscription to your favorite doctors. Yeah. It's a subscription-based model, so you know how much you're paying, and the doctors spend more time with you. And, you know, I like to ask people, does your doctor give you his personal cell phone number? Mm-hmm. Of course, the answer is always no, unless they use direct primary care. Then often the doctors do. They want to be available to answer your questions. They do it, you know, text, email, telehealth. That's all standard, and they often will give you um, – great discounts on generic drugs. They buy directly from the manufacturers, give you referrals for specialists and lab tests and discounted prices. And it's the free market at work. You and your doctor and no insurance middleman sitting there in the in the exam room with you trying to, you know, hurry you out or make sure you don't use too much health care. Uh, DPC, as we call it, really is an exciting new model. And we have been working to pass legislation in the states and also Washington to remove barriers so every American has this as an option. Yeah, I think that is going to be, like you said, maybe not the entire substitute, but a good alternative or at least a substitution for a large part. That way you don't have to charge the $50 to go to the doctor if you use your insurance or you have to rack up the, you know, you got to pay $1,000 before we even start covering it. Then we'll only pay 30% of it kind of thing for these scans when you can do it through these direct primary care providers, which is, like you said, the free market at its best. And coincidentally, when we go through the private market like that, it seems to be a lot cheaper. What a wild concept, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, DPC is wonderful, and, and we would love to supercharge it by letting every American have a tax-free health savings account. So mm. the money that you would use for DPC subscription and you know all your out-of-pocket medical costs would be tax-advantaged, just the way large employers are getting a tax break for providing health plans today, but you would be in charge of that money. And we know from studies that when people have 
a health savings account. By the way, you can keep the money. You know, it, it, it doesn't go away at the end of the year. Right. Whatever you don't spend, you just keep. You can build it up into a huge um, nest egg for your future health care costs. But people shop for value because they want to get the best value. Big problem in American healthcare today is the the patient is not the customer. It's these health insurance companies and hospital corporations and so on that are the real customers. Yep. The patient is kind of sidelined. But with DPC and HSA, that's a powerful combination for folks to take charge of their health care and save money. I completely agree. I think that's the future of it. We just have to let everybody know about it. And once they are aware of it, I've never seen anyone turn it down and be like, oh, that's a terrible idea. They they love this <laughs> because it is, like you said, it's Absolutely. a great opportunity. It's Dean Clancy, Senior Policy Fellow for the Americans for Prosperity. Find him online at americansforprosperity.org. Dean, we're out of time, my friend. I could talk to you about this for hours. I love it. Let's get you back on the show again real soon. Oh, uh, it's my pleasure. Enjoyed it. Hey, absolutely. Likewise, we'll do it again here soon. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow for the midweek celebration. But be aware. Have that conversation with your friends. Start the movement. Be that catalyst in your own community. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.